we were in the we were in the midst of a sermon series that I was calling the pathways to the cross or signposts to the cross that we were leading our way up to Easter and then uh, everything in our world kind of got disrupted and I felt like we needed uh, to kind of have a, that same sort of theme from that message uh, but I wanted to spend time in the Gospel of Mark. I wanted to spend time in the Gospel of Mark for a very specific reason. Uh, the original readers and hearers of, of Mark's Gospel would have had their world upended. And the reason why their world was upended was because they were sudden, suddenly living out this new reality. And the new reality was that God's kingdom had broken into the world. And suddenly people were saying, Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And once you start living your life, that the kingdom of God is the central focus of your life, then comes persecution, then comes brokenness, then comes separation from family, then comes all of the heartache and suffering, uh, that, uh, some of the worst that you could imagine. And so the Gospel of Mark is this compelling story this laser-focused narrative that Jesus Christ is Lord, Savior, and King, and he is breaking into this world with power, with grace, with mercy, with healing and love, that his kingdom is ready to explode and expand. And in a world where the kingdoms of this world are easily shaken, we are assured of, in the Gospel of Mark, that the kingdom of Christ is one that will not be shaken and it will always stand because Jesus is Lord now and forevermore. And so the gospel of Mark reaches into the depths of our heart and tells us Jesus is one that we can be assured of. Jesus is one who we can be comforted in. That he is our strength, our hope, our mercy, our love, and our everlasting king. Jesus, he preaches the gospel and says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand and it's yours to be had. The gospel of Mark wrote, written to a people with the world upside down are being told that the right side up is that Jesus is king. When our world is shaken, we need the cross of Christ. When our world is shaken, we need our savior and our king. We need to fix our eyes on him. And so let's continue our study in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 7 in the Gospel. And I just have this question, this sort of uh, interesting thing. What if I told you that Jesus' disciples didn't wash their hands? And think about that for a moment. In our world of sort of germophobia run amok, we are very much proponents of washing our hands now. It doesn't seem, I don't, I, I don't go a day without hearing the repeated phrase, make sure you're washing your hands. And part of me is concerned that nobody has been washing their hands up until this point. Uh, but when you go to the grocery store, I had to go to Walmart this week, and when you go there, you're greeted with a greeter, and they let you scrub down the cart, and there's hand sanitizer and things for you to make sure that you can wash your hands. It's just been so interesting to see how we've like really amped up our germophobia. But really, uh, the heart of what we're going to talk about today is actually has a lot to do with this, the washing of hands. And what the purpose of it is. And so the question is, is why 
Why would the disciples of Jesus not wash their hands? Now, to the kids who are listening, the message is not, as followers of Jesus, we don't wash our hands. You still need to do that. It's not in the Bible, but somewhere it might be that cleanliness is next to godliness. But really, that might be the point of today's message. In Mark chapter 7, we are told a story of when Pharisees had come upon Jesus and they discover that his disciples are not washing their hands. And he makes an important point for today's world. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus, and they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. That's the same when they go to Walmart, they wash their hands after. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with defiled hands? So the Pharisees asked the same question that we're asking. Why would the disciples not wash their hands? Well, the first thing is to understand what the washing of hands meant. This was not done out of a sort of germophobic, the afraid of, of spreading disease. This was done as a ceremonial washing, that when they were seeking to give honor to God in the breaking of bread and fellowshipping together, whenever there was a ceremony that involved the worship of God, they needed to consecrate themselves. They needed to prepare themselves for the worship of God. So what they are doing is the ceremonious act of washing the world from them and cleaning themselves to prepare them for the worship of God. And whatever that might have been, and whatever uh, tradition or ceremony. And so when they broke bread together, they would wash their hands, not because they were afraid of dirt, but because they wanted to devote themselves to God and do that as an outward sign an expression of their commitment to God, but also an expression of their being set apart as a holy people who are worshiping God. And so when the Pharisees notice the disciples aren't doing this, they're wondering about the nature of their relationship to God and their nature of their relationship to the law. Now, this was not passed down through the Levitical code. This was passed on as an oral tradition. It was something that was done to show that, yes, we're sanctifying ourselves to God. We're cleansing ourselves and giving us to him, devoting ourselves to him. Which, it's interesting, thinking about the Levitical Code, this is a little sidebar, a sort of funny observation. If you were to talk to people um, a month ago and you were to say to them, you know, the Levitical Code makes a lot of sense, most everyone would say you're being completely ridiculous. But now abstaining from people who are dirty and unclean, giving yourself six feet apart and washing your hands repeatedly, this all sounds like the Levitical code and we're all seem to be following it just fine. Um, I'm just gonna pause for laughter in your household for that observation. I know that it's uh, changed your life that you're like, oh, I have been living the Levitical code. All right, moving on. 
a cheap joke, but here's, here's the issue and here's the heart of the situation. Jesus is looking at this ceremonious act and he doesn't expect his disciples to follow this. And the question is why? And it's on the heart of the Pharisees and it's perhaps on our own heart. And he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. There's that hard word for us, hypocrites. As it is written, it says, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and you are holding on to human traditions. He says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You see, Jesus knows this fundamental truth and it's something that we need reminders of often. You see, we are outside-in sorts of people. And the Pharisees, they're outside-in, and they're all about the appearance, and they're about the performance. They aren't about living an inside-out life. And so what Jesus is saying to them is, you can honor me with your lips, you can wash your hands all you want to, but there's still a very fundamental problem going on. Your heart doesn't love God. Your heart is far from God. And so Jesus is taking issue with the Pharisees and, and everyone who are following along with a tradition that just sort of dressed up their relationship with God but didn't really give them a heart for God. And so they would wash their hands and they would do the ceremonious act and in the same time, in the same breath, their heart would be far from him. And so Jesus looks to his disciples and says, you know, what good is it for you to wash your hands if your hearts are far from God? I enjoy playing basketball with Barry Baker for a lot of reasons. One of his intensity, and I hope, Barry, you're listening this morning. But one of the things that Barry says, he has a lot of, there's a lot of Barry Bakerisms out there in the world, and they're great. And one of the things that he says, when somebody gets hurt, or someone has to, you know, like take a break because they twisted an ankle. Barry Baker will always say with 100% uh, reliability, if your ankle's a long way from your heart. And I think that that's the point that Jesus is making. Yes, I'm comparing a Barry Bakerism to a Jesus, but I think that's the point. He's saying your hands are a long way from your heart. Your hands are a long way, and washing them is a long way from having the cleansing of the heart that you truly need. And so what's happening is Jesus is sort of dismantling the traditions that were commonly accepted to say, these are the things that shape your heart. And he is upending the system, and he is giving us a new way in which God is going to relate and change our hearts and change our lives. And Jesus is going to say, it's not what comes in, but it's what comes out of you that defiles you and separates you from God. He says it very specifically in our text. We're going to jump ahead a little ways. And he's going to say in verse 20, he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come and sexual immorality, and theft, and murder, and adultery, and greed, and malice, and deceit, and lewdness, and envy, and slander, and arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from the inside, and they defile a person. 
Jesus would say in the Gospel of Luke, it would be recorded that Jesus would say, out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. A sure telltale sign of the condition of our heart is to listen to the words that are coming out of our mouth. And I wonder what words, if you were to analyze what you've shared in the last week, has there been anger? Has there been fear? Has there been frustration? Has there been words that have expressed a brokenness of your heart? Jesus says it's not what we put in, it's what comes out. And we try really, really hard at covering it all up. We've had Christianity, the way that we've practiced it, completely upended. We're not gathering in this space. I have a few of my close friends here, and, and that's it. But we're scattered, and we're, they're recognizing that they're my close friends, and they're excited. They're like, oh, we made it. You can't see that. It's too bad. It's great. Where was I? See, I get just as distracted uh, any other day. Um, really, where was I? The, uh, but the whole point is that this world has been changed and altered. And the way that we practice these traditions and the things that we've always done, have they been a reminder to you that the traditions can fall away and what really truly matters is a heart that's devoted to God? And that maybe just going through all of the motions that we've been going through, Jesus wanted to teach us that it's not about washing our hands anymore. It's about this relationship that we have with God. It's not about keeping up all of the appearances and all of the performance and all of the things that we do so that we can, on the outside, look good. What have you been doing to try and look good? And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you've been trying all of these things and keeping up with all of these traditions, and it's done nothing for your heart to be closer to God. I hope that by this moment in time, for however many weeks this will go on, that the traditions and things that we have just sort of kept up and kept doing would fall away so that when we return together, we would put together a moment in history that changes forever what Christianity looks like, where it's no longer about keeping up appearances and keeping up with the performance track and trying to show the world that we're good and that we would just let Jesus do a good thing within us. That he would change our hearts forever. And the story of the gospel is just this, that we can keep performing and we can keep working and we can try and earn our way. But there is one who has laid down his life for us. Paul tells us that in uh, 2 Corinthians that if you are in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. And that you are new from the inside out. That you are reconciled to God and that you are forgiven of your sins. Paul tells us that God became sin so that uh, through him we might become the righteousness of God. That we might be found righteous. Paul tells us in Colossians that all of the sin and all of the brokenness and all of the wrong and all the things that we are indebted to, they are nailed to the cross. And Jesus makes a spectacle of the empires and all of the things that would threaten our lives. Everything that threatens us, even death itself, is all nailed to the cross and we are forgiven and redeemed in Christ. And so I simply ask the question again, why did the, the uh, 
disciples of Jesus not wash their hands? Because they knew God was doing something new. That there is a new king in town. And there is one who is coming, who is giving a new heart. All this time, people have been wondering, how do, we, how do we keep following God? How do we trust in God? And Jesus is there to tell us that we have a new life in him. Of salvation, of hope, of forgiveness. That Christ is victorious and he's given us new life. This is the hope. And so the question is, is what do I do right now? How do I live my life for God? If it's not the outward performance track, if it's not the appearance of things, if it's not all of these things that I've always done, going to church and, and serving and doing all these kinds of things, if it's not running the children's programming, if it's not uh, worship leading, if it's not any of these things that have become an outward expression, and even for myself, this preaching moment, I've had to re-examine my own action, my own heart, did I become a preacher so that I can earn my way to heaven? Am I just doing this to keep up with the tradition so that I can look busy and prove myself to God? I think Jesus gives us the very best advice we could ever hope for when he teaches us how to pray. He tells us, don't, don't pray so that everyone can see you. Go into your room and close the door and pray with God in secrecy. You see, because there it's not about appearances, but it's about God showing how you appear to him. It's about God showing how we look to him and examining our heart and showing us our brokenness and showing us our sin, but also healing us in our humility. It's there in our prayer closet, in the secret of his presence, that God truly examines us and we examine ourselves and we examine God and we look to him. Our world is upended, but our Savior is not. And our traditions and our routines and our customs, our daily lives, are no longer what they used to be. And the question is, Has it pointed to you? Has it signaled to you that there is a problem with your own soul? And the question that I have been facing is, is as everything has been changing and I try and keep up my performance and try and keep busy and justify my position and justify my position with you and justify it with God and try and keep up all of these appearances. Have I given my heart to God? Have I given my heart to the one who can really make it new? And so my challenge, my encouragement to you is, is that we're supposed to be in isolation. So why not make it one step further? And go into your room and close your door and spend time with the one who can change your heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. 
And we know this moment in history, there are so many people who are in need of you. And help us to be ready. Change our hearts and change us from the inside out. God, let us live a new life. One of full commitment to you and your kingdom. God, as the world, world's kingdoms have shaken, may we find firm footing in the kingdom of God and fix our eyes on Christ Jesus, our Lord and our King. Comfort the afflicted. And God, you have brought affliction to our comfort. And through this, may we find you and seek you. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was Dwight Moody who said that I've never met a man who gave me more grief than myself. And the point was is that he sensed very truly what Jesus was teaching us. That is from within that sets us apart from God. This thing that has been stewing in us and the sin and the brokenness and the hurt. And Jesus wants to tell us something very true and very good. That all of our sins are forgiven through the cross of Christ. And so we felt there's no better way to close and wrap up our time together than to sing a song that reminds us that Jesus Christ has offered us forgiveness. That it is through him that we do more than just washing our hands. It's through him and his blood that we are washed of our sins.